from inside John Hurt's chest, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Put your hands together for two face huggers, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. That's all very Halloween appropriate. Corey, who sent that uh, alien reference in? That was courtesy of Alexander Berlika. Yeah. Thank you, Alexander. You know, we had a uh, question. I can't remember who posted it. I think it might have been Lance. And uh, the question was... Uh, on the name, Facebook page. Yeah, on the Facebook page. Yeah. Name the best... Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ridley Scott film. Oh, yes. And uh, I think a lot of people uh, gave my answer, which was Alien. I just think in terms of craftsmanship, you cannot get better than Alien. Don't say Gladiator. Come on. It's one of my favorites. I'm what? sorry. I love Gladiator. I really kidding. do. No, it's a great movie, you man. Think, you really think that movie holds up? Yeah, I do. I really do. I think it's a terrific script. I think it's really well done. Um, Alien is up there. Uh, Blade Runner's up there. Oh, Blade Runner. It, the, it, would, it would be one of those two, Alien or Blade Runner. I got to tell you, the director's cut, the director's cut of Legend is up there. It, it really is. It's a real with the Jerry Goldsmith score as about and, and the extra you know fifteen minutes or whatever as opposed to the, the, the butchered thing that they hacked up and threw that Tangerine Dream score onto. Terrible. Terrible. Well, but it was a very provocative question. Great. It was a provocative question. Indeed. And we want to encourage more provocative questions on our Facebook page. Yes, go to the Facebook page and email us or send us voxboxes at gods at digigods.com. Looking for vox boxes, looking for emails. Uh, this week we're not going to have any of them because this week we're, it's all about scary and all about the Halloween and, the, and the, the, the zombies and the things and the ghosts and the monsters and all that stuff. And we are, uh, Mark, what are you doing? I, I'm writing a bill. You're I'm, I'm paying a bill. It's my Bank of America bill. Thank you. $960.51. Oh, that's great. Thanks for sharing. I wonder why. I'm not sure why it was so much. You know, multitasking does have limits. There's a point. <laughs> well, at which... here's the thing. Usually at the top of the show, as everybody knows, you talk about crap no one cares about. And then so you I take this to op- eat something. And then so I take this yeah. opportunity to pay a bill. So okay. go ahead and talk about crap no one cares about. I'll pay a bill. All right. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot of scary stuff. Halloween is next week. We're 10 days away from Halloween, approximately. 10, 11 days, whatever it is. When, whenever what are you, you dressing up as Halloween? Dressing uh, up for? As, uh, you as know for. what? I am so scary all by myself. I just, I see no reason to embellish it with some kind of... Uh, affectation? Yes. Visual affectation? Yes. I, uh, I, I concur. Yeah. Oddly enough. Thank you. I'm not a big Halloween uh, person. However, there are, here's the thing. If I were to dress as something for Halloween... Yes. As I push my chair in. What would you do? Well, I have a, um, I have a kimono from when I went to Japan. Don't. Don't. I'm telling you right now, don't do it. it it's true. Don't. I have a kimono from when I went to Japan. I have no interest in wearing, uh, wearing a kimono. I went to Japan 10 years ago. I've yeah. worn it uh, uh, once. Never. I, what I would like to do is I would like to go to some Halloween party as a geisha girl where I would paint my face white, put the red lipstick on, and wear the kimono. That's what I would do. That's what I would do. If I cared enough about Halloween. But you know, I, I just sort of don't, actually. You know, you, you don't have to wait for Halloween to dress up as a geisha girl. There Maybe are, I don't. There are parties all over town that yeah. would really, really welcome you if you decided to just do that on the spur of the moment. Oh, don't uh, don't uh, yeah. don't cut me short or don't uh, sell me short. Sell don't do something, you, don't sell you don't do something short. Don't do something short. Oh, I'll sell you all Did you right. finally get that classic monsters thing? It's it about came. time. I know it came. Did they send two? No. Of course not. Of course not. But uh, we got a lot of other stuff. We're, you know, before we get to classic monsters, um, we got a little, little stack of television horror here. And uh, look, if, if you're looking for something scary, there is a ton of stuff that's been released over just the last little while. And we're going to focus on it because we've been accumulating it, setting it aside. We want to give you the, uh, the full range of all the spooky. Uh, you gotta, once you hear this, you'll have about a week or so to go out and rent it or buy it or do whatever. But uh, we're going to give you a really good selection of the spooky. The first one here is fan favorites of Thriller. Now, Thriller was a, uh, a television series during that golden age of anthologies uh, when you had Twilight Zone and... Uh, Outer Limits. Outer Limits and eventually... Uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Yeah, absolutely. And Thriller was, was one of the kind of middling ones. Uh, the only thing that was no... And this has been a PD phenomenon for years and years and years. Everything, you know, Thriller has been out there in a variety of different public domain uh, releases and compilations, and they all look like crap. This actually looks really good. This is from uh, from Image, 
And these are just fan favorites. The, the, the entire run is not great. So this is probably a pretty good option. And this is um, the, the properly licensed uh, original Masters from NBC Universal. And uh, episodes include The Grim Reaper, The Watcher, The Hungry Glass, Prisoner in the Mirror. Uh, some really pretty decent stuff in here. Prisoner in the Mirror is, is probably, might be one of the three or four best episodes of the series. Uh, the Incredible Dr. Markison is one that a lot of people like. Um, a lot of great guest spots on this thing. And, of course, you know, Boris Karloff hosting was uh, the best thing they could do to kind of, you know, capture people who were otherwise enamored of Rod Sterling. So, ten classic episodes from Thriller, fan favorites. That's out there. Uh, R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour, the series, is out in Volume 1 and 2. This is on the Hub TV network. Uh, Mark, have you ever heard of Hub? Hub? Yeah. Yes, it's a, yeah, it's a network. It's a TV network. I'm glad you know that because I, I'd never heard of Hub. You really? No. It's not for, uh, it's not for you. I assume it's uh, probably not because this is kid stuff. But uh, That is true. It, you know what it is? It, uh, there used to be a channel called Discovery Kids. Yeah. And Discovery Kids went away, and it wound up kind of be it was relaunched. I see as the hub. I see. I understand. Well, whatever. Uh, R.L. Stein, of course, is the guy that uh, responsible for Goosebumps. It's a guy, right? R.L. Stein, or is it a, is it a woman? I, or do we even know? You know what? It, it, that, 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 it's that uh, that's part of the mystery. R.L. Stein. You don't know. It's a mystery. It's it's, it's it makes sense. You know, Halloween, scary. R.L. Stein. Yeah. Okay. Guy, girl. Okay. You don't know. Don't know. Who could it be? Don't know. It's a mystery. You have only really Quick. two guesses. Quick, what, what's that from? Don't know. It's a mystery. Arl Stein's a guy. What? what? Don't know. It's a mystery. I don't know. That's, uh, that's uh, Jeffrey Rush from uh, Shakespeare in Love. Don't know. It's a mystery. Uh, anyway, The Haunting Hour, the series, volumes one and two. A um, bunch of different episodes here. It's okay. You know, fine for kids, I guess. It's not, not too scary. And, it, you know, it's goosebumpy. What can, what can you say? Uh, so that's from Shot Factory. Uh, then we have Monster Squad, the complete series, which uh, only ran for 13 episodes and is really not a very good show. I've got to be honest with you. Um, this is... Uh, this was in 1976, and it was a Saturday morning show, and it's uh, it's 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 kind of sad and dated. But there's a kitsch factor to it that I I guess somebody will enjoy. But uh, it it's for me it's profoundly embarrassing. Did you ever watch this as a kid? I did not. Oh my gosh, it's really embarrassing. Um, you know, the only thing that kind of makes it uh, enjoyable is that it's got Fred Grandy and uh, Julie Newmar in it, and that. Uh, that's worth something. You know, Gopher and Catwoman? Yeah. What you want. Um, Mark, let's talk for a second here. We also have American Horror Story, the complete first season on Blu-ray. And this has become really quite the phenomenon uh, in, a, in a just freaky way. This, this show has caught on. Uh, it's an FX show. And uh, it got 17 Emmy nominations. And I didn't even know about it until it got the nominations. And, uh, you know, where did this come from? It's got a great cast. It's a terrific cast. Come on, Jessica Lange? Yeah. Jessica Lange. I know. So, anyway, these are the guys from, who did, did Nip Tuck. And uh, American Horror Story, really, it, 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 this is what's interesting, is that television has gone horror now. Because the, the highest rated cable debut in history, you read this, right? Walking Just the Dead. Day. Walking Dead. That's like amazing. That. I mean, come on, it's better than uh, Two and a Half Men. Yeah, but, I mean, I mean, but, but you know, isn't that funny? We never thought that television would be home to horror, did we? No, no, well, it's only because of the proliferation of these edgy HBO, FX, FX yeah. Showtime shows that yeah. ha- that's, what, that's what has enabled this to happen. Yeah, very if, true. If, if it was still a, 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 you know, a, three, a three network universe, None of this would be happening. That's true. So anyway, we really have to tip our hat to them. Uh, the uh, the Blu-ray of American Horror Story is this is very very impressive. Got to say, not exactly my kind of show, but that being said, it's really well done. It's a great cast. It's uh, extremely well shot, and it's smart. And it goes in directions that TV doesn't normally go. And um, you know what? It's it's a little bit. Well, this on- is kind of an anthology too. The thing is that the first seed this season. Was all about one particular family. Yes, it's very. And, I was just going to say it's very dark shadows ish in, yes. in certain respects. And it, now there's a second season, that, which is which is a whole, a, a whole new a whole, a whole new family. Yeah, it's a whole new deal. Uh, so anyway, this has a, a fair amount of extras here. All of it. Um, there's audio commentary on the pilot, and the rest is all kind of featurette oriented. But um, you know what? Dylan McDermott, Jessica Lange, Dennis O'Hare. Love Dennis O'Hare, man. Oh, I that love that guy. Him. Is such a good actor, and nobody knows who he is. No, and no. Johnny you Brent. know what? Dennis O'Hare. 
Dennis O'Hare starred in... Uh, He's in everything. No. Well, I saw him on Broadway, didn't know who he was, and it was one of the best performances I've ever seen on Broadway. It was a uh, play called uh, Take Me Out. Oh, and, I'll take uh, you out, all right. <laughs> exactly. It was about a, uh, a gay baseball player. And uh, yes. he was un- I know this is what we're talking you know eight years ago. I know who the hell he was, and unbelievable. Now this guy it turns out has a pretty decent um, uh, TV career and movie career a little bit too. Now American Horror Story, the second season, by the way, really good cast. Joseph Fiennes, who yes. started an Oscar-winning Best Picture that you just quoted seconds yep. ago, Shakespeare in Love. Uh, he's in this. He's in the second season. Yeah, he, he hasn't had a, an easy career since, by the way, which yeah, is sort of surprising. But uh, Zachary Quinto is also in the second season. Yeah. And so is James Cromwell, who, by the way, James Cromwell, you may not know this, James Cromwell yes. invented warp drive. He did. Okay. He Thank played uh, he played Zephram Cochran. You know, he, he he was a bad Zephram Cochran. The guy from the from the series was the, the better Zephram Cochran. How dare you. I'm telling you. And then lastly on the uh, TV uh, list is The Complete Hammer House of Horror. Um, this is five DVDs from Synapse Films. And it includes uh, all the episodes, all 13 episodes, all whopping 13 episodes. Once again, 13 episodes constituting a complete series um, of the Hammer House of Horror uh, anthology series, which is, um, you know, it, it, it kind of came late in the Hammer phenomenon. Uh, Hammer, of course, was a phenomenon primarily of the 60s and 70s as a film company. And this uh, was a 1980 show, and it was, um, you know, not terribly awesome. Uh, it really felt kind of forced. I, I have to say, I think uh, as far as this is concerned, the, the better version was the the better thing, the better horror anthology was the uh, the American deal with the uh, the, the Crypt Keeper. Tales from, oh, the Crypt. Uh, Tales from the Crypt. Tales from the Crypt. Uh, did a better job of kind of doing what this kind of tried to do. But um, you know what? It's it's uh, it's got some interesting uh, guests, and I guess for that reason alone, it might be worth a you know a rental. It's not terribly scary, I have to admit. Not really scary at all. the The really big deal this week, we got two big deals. This is good. Eating. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about one. Mark's gonna talk about the other one. I want uh, that one. Let me see. Can I touch it and hold it? Yeah, you it? can go ahead and touch it and hold it. Because you'll never, I'll never be able to touch and it hold comes it again. In, because it comes in that. It. it comes in the uh, the Digipack deal. This is the one thing that we don't like about this. Is well that I don't like, and Mark doesn't like this either as a concept. Which is that you know we don't like the little book style things where you have to pull the disc out of the little paper sleeve. It's it's uh, it, you risk scratching the disc. It's not a. It's not good. It's not practical packaging. It's good marketing packaging. And um, I, I really don't appreciate it. But there you go. Because you get your fingerprints on the disc. It's not cool, man. They got to they gotta just, you know, I know they're trying to save space and save money and sell these things, but it really, it's not good. Anyway, uh, these are Blu-rays of the complete Universal, well, they kind of cheat a little bit. These are Blu-rays of Universal horror films, all the original classic horror films that are associated with uh, the, uh, the Universal um, the Universal brand when it was sort of a monster and horror brand, as well as Creature from the Black Lagoon, which is pushing it a little. That's not really part of the original uh, series. But since it's uh, something they have the rights to, they figured they'd throw it in there. But what matters is Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, The Invisible Man, Wolfman, Bride of Frankenstein, and Phantom of the Opera. Okay. Those are the killers. Okay, look. Yes. I have to say something. Yes. Now, obviously, uh, we often talk about uh, multi Oh, and Creature from the Black Lagoon, 3D. Thank God. Yeah. Um, like that makes a difference. You know how you and I, we often talk about multi, you know, like these the TMC collections, yes. the Frank Sinatra collection, whatever it is. Yes. And now there's always like, you know, two good films, three okay films, and there's like there's like five ringers at the, yeah. that they just can't get rid of, so they package it with that. Yep. Okay, this collection, every one yeah. is a, a monster classic. A, a, so I, I, literally I, a monster classic. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Classic monsters. Mm-hmm. And this is my theory. Okay. And you're not going to like my theory, but I think my theory is true. Mm-hmm. Essentially, at some point, uh, packaged media will be dead. And I think that some of these studios, Universal here, I think with the Hitchcock box set that's coming, you'll, I think it's the same thing. They realize that they will not be able to make much more money on packaged media. Mm-hmm. So they're going to pull out all the stops for one last Bafo box set, meaning that this will be the last time they can sell these things in a packaged form. Because in five years, you'll just be streaming it or whatever it's going to be. Maybe. So I think that – because normally, cause normally like in, in the DVD era, you would not see like you know six classic films like this in one no. box set. No. 
But now that packaged media is five, ten years away from, from going away, they've got one last shot. It's going to be around a while longer. Well, it will be, but five, you know, but, uh, yeah. but I don't know that Universal wanted to release you know, Dracula in 2012 and uh, The Mummy in 2013 and Invisible Man in 2014. No, you true. just don't know what's going to happen. Very true. Very so they, true. They, they, they put it all... They, 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 they laid just, it out they there. They laid it all out there in yep. one big boffo swan song of packaged media goodness, which means that the... Um, the consumer can really benefit from that because, again, once you when you stream these things, you don't get the extra bonus features and you don't get the great Very transfers. True. And boy, do they have bonus features. We are talking 12 hours plus of, uh, of bonus goodies plus a really cool little um, uh, booklet deal here called The Original House of Horror, which is just a kind of a history of Universal as a brand, as a horror brand. And it's great. Really nice little booklet. Lays it out very nicely. Uh, they list all of the, uh, the sort of the crucial films, a lot of which, by the way, we should point out, there are, there are a ton of other films that were part of this horror legacy that are not here, mostly because they really aren't very good, like House of Frankenstein, The Mummy's Ghost, Mummy's Cursed, Son of Dracula, Invisible Agent, Ghost of Frankenstein, The Mummy's Tomb, Invisible Man Returns, The Mummy's Hand, Dracula's Daughter. I mean, this is all – most of these are just junk movies. They really are. So they, they are sparing you the junk and giving you just the classics. But the, uh, the, it's the extras here that you're really uh, getting into. Tons of just uh, galleries and interviews and featurettes and, and commentaries and uh, mostly stuff that has been released before on the DVDs. Uh, but uh, we have to underscore once again, this also includes, and this is always included, every single time Universal has ever released Dracula, they have always included, so this once again does include, the 1931 Spanish version of Dracula, which was shot back-to-back with the English-language Bela Lugosi version. So they shot them back to back on the same sets, different actors, but they are effectively the same movie. So um, that's really a you know always a nice bonus that we have to remind people is always there. And otherwise, these are really good movies. What can I say? You know, I uh, the original Dracula, the original Frankenstein are two of the the all time great classic films from the 1930s. Uh, Wolfman, you know, it dates a little bit. Uh, the Mummy dates severely. Bride of Frankenstein is amazing. And uh, I am a particular fan of The Invisible Man, which I think is often uh, unfairly maligned. I think that's a really, really cool film. And by the way, the whole Invisible Man thing has not been done correctly since. They've tried to do The Invisible Man like a dozen times since, including... Kevin uh, Bacon, Chevy Chase. Oh my gosh, those are horrible movies. Those are horrible, horrible movies. The Verhoeven thing with, with Kevin Bacon is dreadful. That is just an appallingly bad movie. And, uh, you know, Chevy Chase, are you kidding me? The, the, the man who wasn't there. And uh, Steve Gutenberg did a, did a 3D Invisible Man movie. Yeah, how does well, that, that one was great. How does that make any sense? I was an usher at the National, and that was released. And we all kind of thought, it's an Invisible Man movie, and it's in 3D. Mm-hmm. Somebody actually pitched the idea of a, a movie about the Invisible Man in 3D. Yes, they did. Like, it, what what drugs were were being consumed and what kinds of mass quantities when that idea was greenlit? That really made no sense. It's stupid. They don't realize the the uh, the irony in that or the, uh, the disconnect involved in that. That that alone tells you. A 3D you. movie about a guy who's not there. Now, obviously, they understand that. I mean, I, they're not that stupid, but you never know. Oh, you never know, Wade. Oh, no. I think they are that stupid. All right. So um, here's the thing. We have a criterion to talk about this week, which is only good news, and it's especially good news because it's Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby. Uh, Rosemary's Baby uh, looks fantastic on uh, Blu-ray. Ray, uh, the garish colors are just so cool. <laughs> the, all those, uh, all those uh, 70s colors, even though the film was actually 1968. Um, but it really, I mean, you, you see the beginning. Movies, most of the movies from that late 60s period, you look at them, and they, they look like they belong to the 60s. Rosemary's Baby really is uh, the beginning of the 70s. There's there is a modern, contem- I mean, contemporary look to it. There the is time. not a single piece of fabric in this entire film that doesn't just scream 1972. I mean, I, it, it, the, the dresses, the pillows, the curtains, the carpet, every, every single piece, every textile in this movie is just so nauseatingly of the 70s. My, my fear with this movie when it comes to you know, uh, our younger listeners uh, watching this is that it is uh, paced much different than modern very true. Films. Very true. I mean, this movie is two hours and sixteen minutes. Yes, it is about two hours and uh, ten minutes of, uh, of of John Cassavetes and uh, Mia, Mia Farrow, Farrow just, just hanging ha- out, hanging out, and having a very nice marriage. Yeah, and then it's about there's about twenty five minutes at the end of you know, hail Adrian, hail Satan. Now, by the way, you know, he has he, his father's eyes. Now, um, 
what you may not know about this. Hmm. There's, 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 a, there's a lot of interesting backstory about this, about a William Castle who we've talked about before. Yeah. who was like the the uh, the, the, the B movie, uh, uh, you know, the B movie uh, carnival salesman uh, who did a lot of movies like The Tingler. There's a lot of C level stuff. He had optioned the book, the Hour Eleven book, because he wanted Rosemary's Baby to be his bid for legitimacy. And there was a brief moment when he was going to direct it, but in, in in the end, they got uh, Roman Polanski, and of course, the film is Roman Polanski. Uh, if William Castle had directed it, this thing would be a joke. And we forget also how funny this movie is. I mean, it it's horrifying. Funny. It's creepy. It's got all those. You know, it really is. It paves the way for a lot of other horror films stylistically and in terms of subject and everything else. But it's a very funny film too. I mean, it there are funny. a lot of great laughs. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like the like the Japanese guy with the camera He's who's hilarious. hanging out with all the rest of the Satanists. Awesome. Screams "Hail Satan!" and then he starts taking pictures. <laughs> I mean, that really is just a bizarre, weird, stereotypical, uh, strangely politically incorrect thing to include. Now, if if that guy was played by Mickey Rooney, that'd be bad. Yes, uh, true. The only, and you know what, for, for uh, younger fans, also interesting is that, you know, at the time, uh, Mia Farrow was married to Frank Sinatra. And Frank Sinatra actually was incensed that Mia Farrow had done this film because she... Because people were stopping him on the street and saying, he's got your eyes. No, because he had demanded that she stop working when they got married. Mm-hmm. In fact, in a little-known story... It's probably on Wikipedia or something. In a little-known story, he actually served her divorce papers on the set of this movie. That's right. On the set of this movie, Frank Sinatra's attorneys served Mia Farrow divorce papers because Sinatra was so angry that Farrow took this part because she had promised not to work when they got married. So there's all sorts of fun stuff happening in Rosemary's Baby that's uh, not even uh, have to do with the actual film. Well, it is. It is great. It's a terrific Blu-ray and uh, tons and tons of uh, cool stuff on it by way of extras, the primary one being the, uh, the new documentary. On the making of the film, uh, which is just great. You know, you, you get lots of uh, Robert Evans with that leathery skin that just won't go away. Boy, it's going to be a strange world when Robert Evans kicks, won't it? It'll be like uh, the end of an era. Really? Well, I, uh, who of those guys are still around? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, and there's also a documentary on the guy, uh, the, uh, the Slavic guy whose name I will not even attempt to, to pronounce, who uh, basically wrote the score for the film, which is a cool score because... It just it comes in in the weirdest ways and just punctuates and ex- puts exclamation points on these inappropriate moments. It's a really fascinating sure. score. Well, as long as we're on the subject of uh, Rosemary's Baby and all the things that it inspired, we have a trio of other films here, which I'm just going to uh, roll through. One is Basket Case 3, The Progeny. And, uh, you know, there, there, there suddenly were a lot of movies about Satan's babies and Satan's children. The Omen, of course, is one of the more re- reputable ones. It's Alive. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> I liked It's Alive. That was one of my favorite of those bad movies. <laughs> anyway, um, the, uh, the, the, the Progeny, um, Basket Case 3, is the third in a just ridiculous series. The Brood was another one. Cronenberg's yeah. The Brood, right? There are a lot of those that kind of just took off on the idea. Well, anyway, the uh, Basket Case 3, The Progeny, is the third in just a silly series that was uh, launched in the 80s. This one came in 1991. This is also a release from Synapse. And it's just horrible puppetry and bad latex work. And it's really, really silly. But uh, if you're looking for something that's just cheesy enough, this will probably fit the bill. Uh, and then we also have a couple of Blu-rays. I hit the mic, Mark. I, uh, I, I see that. and uh, I hit the mark, be, Mike. You should be killed. And we got a couple from Troma, uh, which are uh, also very, very appropriate. Father's Day and Mother's Day. Uh, probably should have talked about these but they on the appropriate holidays, but they weren't there. Anyway, the, the real big deal is Father's Day. And this was uh, written and directed by Astron 6, Mark. Who the hell is <laughs> the robot? Ast- who the hell is Astron 6? Robot. Uh, somebody who doesn't want to actually take credit for it. Uh, you know what? If you, if you have not heard of either of these films... I guarantee you, you're not missing out. If you have heard of them, you are probably a Troma fan, in which case you probably love everything that has the Troma logo on it, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, Father's Day is the, is the bigger deal here. It is a, um, it's a DVD and Blu-ray combo. It means to be every bit as cheesy, kind of grindhouse, throwback, schlocky, exploitation film look as it is. Lloyd Kaufman prides himself on this stuff, and you know what? He does it better than anybody else. Troma makes a lot of films available for, for free viewing on uh, YouTube and elsewhere, and uh, they, they just know how to cater to their audience. 
So um, I, I have to read you. And by the way, Mother's Day is okay. Mother's Day is, uh, is, is, you know, Eli Roth claims this is his favorite horror film. He's quoted on the cover of it. I'm not quite sure why. Because he's probably friends with uh, the producer or the director. I, I'm sure. Uh, Mother's Day actually is much more of a, uh, it, it means to be kind of a cross between, it, it, it's sort of if you, if you crossed um, Norman Bates and his mom thing with the whole weird family thing from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that's basically what you get here. Um, Sounds like a winner. It's a winner. But I, I have to. I actually have to read this because the the plot description of Father's Day, just from the from the box, is just so is so unbelievably hilarious. It cannot be avoided. Father's Day follows the classic story we all grew up with. Boy watches father raped and murdered. Boy grows into a vengeful one eyed man. Man teams up with a priest and a male prostitute to take down his father's killer. Come on, tell that's, me that. Tell me that's not absolutely hysterical. That uh, sounds great. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's Come on, that's great. That's classic trauma, man. All right, Halloween two. Halloween two. Notice how I just ignore Wade. Um, as sequels go, Halloween two from nineteen eighty one is uh, not bad. The Halloween series certainly had a lot worse to uh, uh, provide us over the years, including what we'll talk about in a second, which is Halloween three. But the Halloween two was directed by Rick Rosenthal, who uh, has mainly just mainly TV director now. Babe Rosenthal. Yes. Babe. Babe yes. Rosen Rosenthal. Oh. Thal. Babe Rosenthal. Babe Hoven. What? It's a Jerry Lewis thing. Oh my god. Sorry. By the way, Jerry Lewis not funny. Yep. So I'm saying it right here, right now. Jerry Lewis not funny. I'm about to offend Wade deeply. Jerry Lewis not funny. Not funny. I'm crying. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Not funny. <laughs> Boo hoo. <laughs> Anyway, Halloween 2 takes place uh, on the same night as Halloween. It's sort of a continuation of the story, and so all the uh, cast, uh, they all return. And, uh, you know, it's really not that bad. There's a couple of, uh, there's a lot of special features on this thing. Boy, uh, Scream, not Shout Factory, but Scream Factory uh, through Universal, they've uh, done a good job with this thing. It's a two-disc set. There's a television cut with uh, footage that was not in theatrical release. There's an audio commentary with Rick Rosenthal and uh, one of the actors. Uh, there's a couple of uh, featurettes on this thing, so it is a it's an okay sequel, but a but a surprisingly good Blu-ray. Now, Halloween three, season of the witch. Let me just say that uh, by this point, I think it's pretty obvious that the Halloween, uh, uh, you know, the whole Halloween thing had kind of run out of steam. But this was the '80s, and nobody could ever keep a good horror franchise down. Um, so in this one, which is from 1982. There's like this, um, this is so ridiculous. There's like this hollow. There's this company that makes like Halloween masks. Yeah, and they are going to sell kids this Halloween mask that will like you know do bad things to them. So kids will buy this Halloween mask. They'll put the Halloween mask on, and horrible, sinister things will happen to them. So it's completely ridiculous, and uh, the cast is nothing to write home about. Uh, Dan O'Hurley, he is in it from RoboCop. Uh, a couple others you might have heard of, but really this is just, at this point, I just don't understand. It's just this terrible, terrible stuff. Uh, directed by uh, Tommy Lee Wallace. Now, Tommy Lee Wallace is a guy who you may know from, oh, pretty much nothing. <laughs> you know? Anyway, although he did direct a couple episodes of Max Headroom, which is nice. But again, uh, uh, Scream Factory. They've done a good job with the uh, Blu-ray. Very surprising, considering that no one's ever going to watch this stupid movie. Um, Halloween 2, much better than Halloween 3. I will say, the nice thing about Halloween 2, uh, I have a whole newfound appreciation for Donald Pleasance, you know, who plays the, 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 the doctor in, in Halloween, right? The original psycho doctor guy who's trying to, you know... I am the king of New York! Yeah, whatever. Um, he was the president and escaped from New York. Yes, yes. He, okay. among, and he was also uh, Ernst Blofeld in... Uh, which Bond film was he Blofeld in? Uh, that, was the, uh, that was the original. Wasn't that the original? Was that Dr. No? Wasn't no, it? he was... Uh, yeah, well, anyway, I can't, can't remember. Get them all confused. <laughs> uh, they didn't send us the Bond 50 set, so I haven't caught up on my old Bond films. By the way, you know, Donald Pleasance, he, he, after a while, he... He... Um, he uh, he became a bit of a joke doing like bad horror films, but I mean Donald Pleasance was like the guy was in The Great Escape. I mean he was kind of like know. he was kind of like a real actor. <laughs> I don't really know what happened. No, after that. no. Well, I, I was just going to say because uh, Donald Pleasance was in Wake and Fright, which has just been re-released after being restored. It's a 1971 uh, Australian film directed by Ted Kotcheff, uh, which is uh, he's he plays the, one of the scariest, creepiest people imaginable in the movie, and it's it, it's basically U-turn set in the Australian outback, right? You know. He, 
college teacher uh, or a school teacher gets uh, kind of trapped in this weird kind of hick town where just his life completely disintegrates. And Donald Pleasance is this alcoholic doctor who lives in a shanty. And um, I'll just say has some proclivities that are deeply disturbing. But um, anyway, watching that the other day, because we had to talk about it on, uh, on Film Week, it, uh, I was like, wow, this, this Donald Pleasance, really, we forget what a great actor he was because he went on to do so much junk. But uh, he was a good guy. I got two more um, trauma films here, both from the 80s. And uh, these are just, uh, boy, I don't know if I want to call them fun or arduous. They're from 88 and 89. The earlier one here is the better film. It's, uh, it's called Chillers. And uh, Chillers is uh, it's, it, it's a really cheesy excuse to make a really cheap horror film. It's about uh, five people who are uh, caught, kind of stranded at a, at a bus depot in the middle of nowhere. And uh, they're, uh, they're on a bus ride. Well, I mean, look, the, the artwork tells you exactly what's going on. They're waiting for bus 286, which is on a trip to hell. Oh, come on. If, 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 if you're going to rent that, you have to rent the car. The car is the best. <laughs> well, what I, what I find amusing, I mean, look, the film itself is, you know, standard trauma stuff from the 80s. You can kind of laugh at it. It's not really scary. But the, the thing that's funny is that the, here's what they brag about on the, on the box. Winner of the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films prestigious Silver Scroll Award. How about wow. that, Mark? That, that's better than an Oscar. Yes. And then uh, Where Evil Lives is from 89, and this is just a kind of a, you know, a, a mishmash, a mashup, um, potpourri of every horror cliche you can imagine in uh, basically kind of what is meant to be the ultimate haunted house or uh, possessed house movie. It doesn't really come off that way, but it is, it is mildly entertaining, mainly because Claude Akins is in it. And uh, Claude Akins has, you know, for some of us who remember him from all kinds, you know, moving on and all various. Sheriff Lobo. Sheriff Lobo. Well, they <laughs> they call they declare this his greatest role, um, which you got to love Lloyd Kaufman. He doesn't hold back. He, hyperbole is his friend. That is true. So uh, there's a couple where evil lives and chillers, both of them uh, trauma classics from the 80s. And as long as I'm going with a bit of a retro cheese fest, uh, I've got a couple here from VCI as well. Uh, these are films that also date from the 1980s, Forever Evil and Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Now, Forever Evil is from 1987, and uh, this is a, a, a two-disc set that includes uh, the special edition director's cut and the home video premiere cut. Um, I, I looked at as much as I could of both of them, did not see anything substantially different, uh, or certainly nothing, given the overall quality of the film. I don't see any reason why this film needs to have two different cuts. Got to be honest with you. It's pretty much the same um, hysterically cheesy stuff uh, over and over and over in both of them. So uh, that being said, you know, um, is it, it – well, you know, Forever Evil is uh, is kind of – it has a cult following. And I think – did this thing have a sequel or two? Did they – Did maybe they tried Forever Evil? Forever Evil. Do you remember – you have no idea what I'm oh. talking about, do you? <laughs> Let's watch that crap. Well, it's it's come well, on, Wade. Get with the program. Anyway, I, I it's uh, you know basically it's a you know it's like a supernatural version of Friday the Thirteenth or uh, all those other movies about kids who have horrible things happen to them in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's uh, except in this case, it's not a slasher; it's an evil force. So it's kind of like I guess maybe a cross between Friday the Thirteenth and uh, and the Evil Dead. So anyway, that's 1987. Uh, not great, not terrible. Just just a good solid eighties uh, kind of. Horror cheese fest, and then uh, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow um, is um, also has kind of a, a weird cult following. Uh, this one is slightly better because it has Charles Durning in it, and anything that has Charles Durning in it is automatically easily recommended. Um, but and it's a fairly legit film, believe it or not. I mean, uh, the, like Joe was Wizan or Wizen, however you pronounce his name. Star Wars. Yeah. Exactly. He was uh, he was one of the producers on this thing. So I mean, you you look at uh, and Larry Drake. Remember Larry Drake from uh, L.A. Law? He sure, he's kind of that weird looking guy. And then he was also in uh, Sam Raimi's uh, uh, Dark Man. That's right. Yeah, That's right. yeah, he's in this too. So you know, there is a, there is a kind of a, a slightly legit factor in this one. Anything with Charles Durning, especially playing the you know postmaster, <laughs> small town. <laughs> Uh, is very very funny. Anyway, uh, you know, honestly, as as far as uh, like small town uh, outback hick horror movies go, this one's pretty good. Uh, so, uh, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow is it might be might be a worth look. Might be worth a look. All right, Wade. We have uh, continuing the Halloween theme. We have Night of the Living Dead. Now you're probably saying to yourself, which Night of the Living Dead is that? Is that one of the seventeen thousand ones that George Romero's done, 
Or could that be the uh, 1990 remake from uh, Tom Savini? Well, wait, it's the 1990 remake from Tom Savini. Oh, Tom Savini. Did, and, did he die? Isn't he the guy who just recently died? Savini? Savini? Did Tom Savini die? Who died? Uh, Some makeup guy died in the last year. No. I'll find out. I mean, Savini's in his 60s by now. Yeah, but you talk. You talk. <laughs> anyway, um, a lot of the members of the original actually participated in the making of this film, but uh, Savini wound up directing it. And uh, Savini is a makeup effects master, and uh, so you know that the makeup effects are great, the uh, zombie effects are terrific, they're state-of-the-art for the time, Romero was just a producer on it, but um, still, it's a, you know, it's a pretty intense film. Uh, if, if memory serves, this thing was going to get an X rating, this is 1990, don't forget, it was going to get an X, and then uh, Savini had to cut some scenes out of it, or cut some shots, I think, and uh, to get it down to an R, and uh, it's really not that bad. I, I certainly prefer this over the Rob Zombie versions. I just think the Rob Zombie versions, I, just that guy, you know what? I just think that guy is just, he's just not great. You know what? He is, It's like that guy loves, he just loves like bad Dario Argento. You know what? He's like making a souped up Dario Argento film. That's all Rob Zombie does. And uh, I'd rather see a Dario Argento film. I don't even like Dario Argento. Anyway, the special features include a isolated score track, which we always love, and a uh, commentary from Tom Savini. So that's really not that bad. Yes, I, I was thinking of Dick Baker, but or, or, oh, or it's not Dick Baker. Rick, Rick Baker oh, was Rick, well, Rick Baker. here. First Rick Baker died. Rick, no, Rick Baker sixty one. Tom Savini is sixty five, and I think both of them were mentored by Dick Smith. That's who I was thinking of. I was thinking of Dick Smith, the makeup guy. But he's ninety. He's still around too. Who is Dick Smith? Is he really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. he's awesome. Unbelievable. I mean, he, Dick Smith is the one who did. Uh, all the Dustin Hoffman stuff in Little Big Man. Ooh, yeah, good. Times. And then and, and Mung, you know, basically, and then The Exorcist and Scanners is when he really kind of became the horror guy. But uh, all right, speaking of horror, right. Reanimator, Wade, Reanimator. I hate this movie. Really? I really do. Oh, this thing's funny. Uh, From 1985, this is a, a cult film about a guy who can uh, reanimate the dead. And it's one it's, of those uh, Charles Band movies. It, uh, it was based on the H.P. Lovecraft uh, novel. As opposed, not a nonfiction novel, in case you're wondering. And uh, Jeffrey Combs, who starred in it, has made a career out of uh, talking about this movie. The guy's at like every convention ever. Um, anyway, Stuart Gordon directed it, and uh, it's a funny film. It's got a lot of uh, humor, which might be lost on a lot of people because it's sort of of the time. Uh, but it's great, uh, very funny, and it moves fast, and it's got a good sense of humor. And it is definitely one of the best of those ni- of those '80s. You know, horror film thing because it's got humor and it's it's got topical overlays to it, and it's and just got, a lot of fun. We got and more eighties good. We got more retro eighties horror to coming up. So All don't. Right. Well, I don't know, man. Yeah. Reanimator is pretty good. Yeah, it's it it's since become a cult classic, and yeah. you know what? There's been a couple other Reanimators. There's been like two or three sequels. There's like a Bride of the Reanimator. There was Beyond Beyond mm-hmm. Reanimator. I think there was uh, you know. Wade Major the Reanimator. Yeah, yeah. Which is a great the the the, the Mater. The reanimator. I'm working here. You got to give me some. Gotta... In that case, you're fired. Okay. Anyway, there's a lot of bonus features on the on the uh, Blu-ray documentary. Couple interviews. Uh, good stuff. Reanimator from 1985, a uh, classic 80s horror kind of comedy. We also have um, this is from um, the year of our Lord 1988, Killer <laughs> Clowns from Outer Space. <laughs> Clowns with a with a with K. A K. This is, uh, it's about... Uh, it's I really about, enjoy this movie, I really? have to be honest. This is not the You enjoy movie. this, but you don't like Reanimator. No, because Killer Clowns is just bizarre. It's it just, is bizarre. It's just weird and funny and creepy. And... You know what it is? It's about these aliens who land, who land in a circus. <laughs> it's like, what if, what if evil aliens looked like clowns? Yes. And, and, and what if their, their entire alien culture were all sort of funhouse motif? Very funny. And you know, it was directed by these. It was produced by these brothers named the Chiodo brothers. Yeah. And um, they, the reason why normally I would make fun of them because I've never heard of anything they've ever done except for one other thing, which is that they helped create some of the puppets for Team America: World Police. Oh, really? And I revere Team America: World oh, Police. Oh, that's pretty. This great. is the funniest movie ever. That's pretty great. Anyway, special features here include uh, audio commentary from the Chiodo brothers and uh, a couple of featurettes. And so there you go, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Wade's on board. Totally. 
You betcha. Go, Wade. What's what's that? The fun house? Well, no, I'll talk about that in a second. Well, you know, as long as we're on Killer Clowns, I'll, ju- I'll, I'll, I'll leapfrog you on that one, and we'll talk about the fun house since there is a natural uh, uh, segue there. Uh, this is one of uh, two films from Scream Factory that date to the same general period, late 70s, early 80s, when every basically Halloween had just changed the landscape for everything. And uh, The Fun House was directed by Toby Hooper, who, of course, had some cachet uh, coming off of uh, the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And uh, you know what? It's, I mean, it's a very, it's sort of the same general idea as Killer Clowns and all the rest of those movies that sort of uh, punish people for daring to have fun. Uh, it's just, you know, kids, kids who go out on dates and uh, want to have sex or have sex, they, they always pay the price. And uh, that's the kind of moralistic... Uh, horror message for so many horror films, and in this case, you know, they uh, these the boy, you just don't disobey dad. You should not go to that carnival with that boy, and of course they do. And boy, well, just it just happens that there's a there's a killer at the fun house, and it's uh, well. All, all hell literally does break loose. Um, this is a terrific uh, Blu-ray special edition. Got lots of extras, a really good transfer, a better transfer than this film really deserves. This is from 1981. And uh, it's, got, it's interesting, I guess, noteworthy on some level. And we were just speaking about Rick Baker, who did the, the effects work here. It's noteworthy on some level because Kevin Conway plays three different roles in the movie. And then um, uh, similarly noteworthy from 1979 is Terror Train, which uh, starred Jamie Lee Curtis when she suddenly became the go-to actress to scream in movies. And uh, Terror Train is is actually surprisingly not terrible. Um, it's not very good, but it's also surprisingly not terrible. And, and this could be a really decent um, a decent Halloween film. I mean, it uh, it still kind of works. And uh, if you want something that has a certain uh, kind of, I mean, the fact that it's old and retro actually does make it a little bit creepier and a little bit scarier. The fact that it's based on a, that it's kind of one part of a genre during a period when everything was trying to imitate Halloween on some level. Everything had to have a serial killer or some kind of a weird mask or some creepy motif. Um, th- that makes it feel a little bit dated. So kind of split the difference. Figure out if this is something you want to watch on Halloween. But it really, you, you could you could do worse than Terror Train. So uh, this also is in a Blu-ray DVD combo pack collector's edition from Scream Factory. Very, very good transfer. Like uh, Funhouse, a better transfer than this movie probably deserves. And uh, David Copperfield, the magician, also happens to be in this film. And uh, even though Jamie Lee Curtis looks young, David Copperfield looks like he's about uh, like 12 weeks old. <laughs> It's amazing how, how just, I mean, we forget how young these people were when they were first successful. That is true. It's depressing. And ja- now Jamie Lee Curtis is doing commercials for uh, that uh, that yogurt that like old people eat or something like that. Act- don't remind Activa, Activa or something. Do you know what utterly depresses me is that the, when I turn the TV on, I see Jonathan Hart from Heart to Heart hawking reverse mortgages. I see the $6 million man hawking hearing aids. Uh, I just want people to know that someday it's like, Aston Kutcher is going to be hawking uh, Depends diapers. It's, it, it, it's seriously true. Like if you think if you're all if you're all excited that about your icons, your TV icons, how hot and studly they are, I guarantee you, by the time you get into your 40s, 50s, whatever, those people are they're going to be geriatric and they're going to be selling you know uh, vitamins and, uh, and you know retirement plans and and timeshares somewhere in the middle of Tennessee. What's even worse is that. The generation that we're seeing now do all the old age commercials. That was the generation before reality TV. So you're going to wind up seeing just dozens of horrible reality show people, just old and wizened and disgusting and flatulent and fat and bald, talking about like, you know, AARP is for old people. I drink it too. Hi. I mean, you're going to wind up hi, with I'm, that. Hi, I'm Snooky. I, I want yes. to recommend Boniva. Yes. I was gonna. That's the other. One I was gonna say the Flying Nun has, uh, you know, has calcium deficiencies. I, I know Boniva. I, I mean Boniva. I, I know Snooki will live forever. She will always be twenty three. Whatever the old she is. But you know what? It's just not true. Uh, anyway, we have to talk about Jeepers Creepers because uh, it was directed by a child molester, and it's very important. But to remember he's a good that. director. I got to tell you, he is a good director. Although he's made mostly crap films, but Powder is a really good movie. Well, but the thing is that is that once you're like you know. Once you molest a twelve-year-old and there's tape of it, and you know, and then you serve, uh, you know, a year in prison. I know. I, know. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, I'm who, not defending who, who's, the guy. Who's going to? But who's going to hire you? I know. Nobody. I mean, he still kind of works. And what's funny is that you know, when when Victor when uh, Victor Salva when he was uh, released and he couldn't get a job, you know who who partially bankrolled him? No. The same person who co-produced Jeepers Creepers 
Francis Ford Coppola. You realize Francis Ford Coppola oh, co-produced no. this film. I did not know that. Yes, he did. No kidding. And uh, anyway, so this is uh, Jeepers Creepers. is one of the first films that uh, he did, I believe, after he... Um, it actually is one of the first films he did after he left jail, uh, where he served a year for uh, whatever it was, uh, lewd conduct. Uh, anyway, Jeepers Creepers with Justin Long. Uh, it's a horror film. He, this, the Jeepers Creepers guy looks like a... Next generation alien, or actually, you know what he looks like? He looks like uh, one of the aliens from Star Trek Insurrection, where like their faces all stretched out. Yep. Uh, anyway, Jeepers Creepers, uh, whatever. John Beautiful, Lester. wonderful. Exactly. And then we've got a. Uh, By the way, that's a true story. You know, look that up. Yeah, no, I'm not kidding. That's that's you're creeping me out. <laughs> anyway, I uh, got a couple more recent classics here, and uh, when I say recent, I mean not the '80s per se. Uh, one is Stephen King's Sleepwalkers, which um, you know, it's funny. I didn't think this was a very good movie at the time. This was directed by Mick Garris, who really should have had a much better career. I have to be honest. It's from 1992, um, but this is this is not this is not terrible. I mean, for a movie that essentially is kind of a lowbrow knockoff of every sort of uh, werewolf slash wolfman slash I don't know cat peoplely, I'm going to turn into some kind of a monster movie. Um, it's it's all right. It's uh, you know there are better than, and there are worse Stephen King movies, and uh, this kind of dates well, I think, to be honest. I think this dates well. So that's on Blu-ray now from uh, Columbia Columbia Pictures, Sony. And by the way, what do you think about that, that Sony Pictures is on the block, potentially? I find that fascinating. Isn't it? I never thought. I thought that would be forever, but apparently their their electronics division is hurting so badly just that, based on the last few years that they need to raise cash. Then why not just dump the electronics division? I don't know. It's the bread and butter. Their bread but and it's butter. not. It's not making any money. Yeah, but down the line it will. I think they I probably... Get, they're waiting for the PlayStation 4? Who knows? I don't know. Games of the future, movies aren't. Who knows? So anyway, sleep. But the thing is that look, I mean, but Sony has all their money, you know, locked up in not locked up, but uh, they're dependent upon Blu-rays and and home video sales that are going to start going away soon. True. I mean, yes, they'll sell their library to Netflix and sell their library to blah blah. Yeah. But as a packaged media thing, I, I don't. I would think that they would be interested. I, in I don't know. I mean, it's not confirmed, but the rumors are so rampant. You have to believe that there is there's some truth to it. So we'll uh, we'll see. It's they're floating a trial balloon. What do you want? And then uh, what do you want from me? What do you want? And then um, there is also Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. This is Paramount. This is our, our other Stephen King uh, title of the week, which was this is directed by Mary Lambert, who also provides commentary. And uh, you know what? This is this is actually a really decent film, and it's so quotable. And I know so many people that seriously love this movie. Now, I didn't love it when I first saw it, um, but you know, seeing it again, you realize I get why. Especially Stephen King fans are really fond of this movie. It really is fun. And Fred Gwynn, I mean, come on, give it up for Herman. Uh, you know, it's the only other horror thing that he ever did outside of Herman Munster, and he's terrific in it. And uh, Stephen King wrote the screenplay himself, so it's very, very Stephen Kingish. You don't get any of that uh, kind of... It's not like uh, when, you know, Carpenter or Kubrick reinterpreted his stuff in ways that he wasn't fond of. If you like Stephen King, you're going to like the movie. It's just got his personality all the way through it. And uh, some great featurettes on here. And uh, a really, really, really good transfer, which I don't often say about Paramount uh, catalog titles that just get blown out to to Blu-ray, but they did do a really nice job here. It's a very dark, moody film, a lot of kind of uh, desaturated blues and saturated reds and... Um, Mary Lambert probably you know she deserves such a, a so much of a better career than she's had in the in the wake of this. She's kind of a straight to video queen right now. But um, you know what? I'll tell you, Pet Cemetery S E M. By the way, remember how to spell it S E M A T A R Y. Uh, really, one of the uh, one of the more pure Stephen King horror films. And uh, if you you know you could do a double feature with that and Sleepwalkers and uh, get your Stephen King on the Blu-ray this week. Yes, you can. Or you can watch uh, two films from the Roger Corman, Corman Cult Classics Collection. The first is uh, Naked Angels. Now, Naked Angels is an interesting film. It is a, uh, it's a biker film from 1969. And, uh, you know, 1969, especially in the low-budget world, the B-world, the Corman world, the biker film was kind of a big deal. There were a lot of biker films that came out. Of course, the quintessential biker film is Easy Rider, but Easy Rider was kind of like, uh, that was like the class act compared to some of these other biker films uh, that came out kind of in the mid-60s, you know, late-60s, early-70s. You know, Russ Meyer did a couple of them, I believe. Um, Actually, one of them even starred John Cassavetes, who we talked about earlier from Rosemary's Baby. Naked Angels, 
stars uh, Michael Green, Jennifer Gann, and Richard Rust. Uh, it's about these uh, two rival biker, rival biker gangs. Uh, it's a pretty good-looking film for a Corman film, mainly because it was shot in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, so it has a bit of an art feeling to it. But uh, it's good. It's good stuff. Um, Naked Angels, there's that one. And the other one from the Roger Corman Cold Collection is a little uh, number called Sweet Kill. Now, Sweet Kill was uh, from, what year was Sweet Kill? Sweet Kill was from like 1973, yeah, I think. Yeah, early, early 70s for sure, yeah. Huh? It's with uh, Tab uh, Hunter. Now, here is the strange thing about Sweet Kill. And here's the reason why you may want to give it a whirl. 1973, Roger Corman, Sweet Kill, written and directed by Curtis Hansen. Awesome. Now, Curtis Hansen, who, of course, went on, went on to uh, you know direct LA Confidential and Eight Mile, and he's kind of wavered a little bit now. He's, you know, meh on Curtis Hansen, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, when you look at uh, Curtis Hansen, you're like, God, Curtis Hansen, Oscar-nominated director doing a Roger Corman film? Look, a lot of people, as oh, Wade yeah. will tell you. Jonathan Demme. A lot of people started doing uh, Cur- uh, Roger Corman films. Everyone right from Jonathan Demme to Jack Nicholson to they all did it. So don't worry about That's Curtis Hansen starting on a Roger Corman film because that means nothing. And this is 1973. Totally. This is like, you know, 25 years or whatever it is before yeah. you start to really hit it big. True. They, they, so Sweet you, Kill is an interesting uh, a debut, from, uh, not a debut, but an interesting film from him. Uh, we're going to talk about some newer films, newer releases uh, made within the last year or so uh, in a moment. But I want to go through some comedy and some kid stuff because you're probably thinking, well, what if I just want to laugh on Halloween? What if I just want to really Oh, good- you can laugh. Here, you, I, I, this is how you should laugh on Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to edit that out of the show so that that, that will live forever and uh, Mark will be shamed by, oh, by the recollection. Oh, God, I, I've done worse than that. Uh, the first one is a really cheesy, unbelievably hysterically bad, low-budget horror film called Zombie A-Hole. Um, and this was made this last year. Uh, it's, you know, basically about a guy, well, it's, it's a guy in horrible zombie makeup who, who uh, preys on naked twin girls. I kid you not. There's just nothing. <laughs> it's really graphic, but it's not scary. It's just kind of like, ooh, ew. And uh, it's really worth probably a rental just so that people will laugh at the fact that you're putting on a movie called Zombie A-Hole. Uh, then we also have Jersey Shore Shark Attack, which is more... This was originally aired on Sci-Fi. This is on Blu-ray. And uh, it's not really scary. It's really more enjoyable just because it, it actually has sharks eating people who um, are, like, you know, from Jersey Shore. Anchor Bay re- released this. It's, um, you know, uh, it's, it's mildly amusing as satire. Mildly amusing as satire. Um, slightly better than either of those is Screaming in High Heels. And uh, this, is, this is from uh, Vicious Chick Films. Uh, which is kind of a subsidiary of Breaking Glass. And um, it, this is surprisingly... I, I, don't, I shouldn't say it's funny. I'm including it with the, with the funny stuff only because the movies that these actresses were in uh, were funny. But this is uh, actually a documentary all about the uh, terrifying trio, which included Linnea Quigley, uh, Brinka Stevens, and Michelle Bauer. And I'm going to mention Brinka Stevens again in a moment because I've got another movie that Brinka Stevens was in. But these ladies were the scream queens of the era, and uh, they really uh, they sort of defined what the '80s were in terms of um, horror films, and the, the whole approach to you know scantily clad women, and they were always getting killed in horrible, disgusting ways. And a lot of people have focused on the the political incorrectness of that, and what it said about sort of reversing women's roles in movies, and uh, you know that it was a it was a step backward from uh, from feminism. And I, I think they kind of missed the point. Point. Um, these films are not supposed to be taken seriously. And uh, in many respects, people now look at these actresses and they say, you know what, you did really kind of in a strange and twisted and sick way advance women's roles, believe it or not. So, um, you know, there you go. So Michelle Bauer, Linnea Quigley, and Brinka Stevens. And Linnea Quigley is the one everybody knows. But Brinka Stevens, Michelle Bauer, also significant from the era. What can I, what can I tell you? Um, and then uh, Elvira... Is at it again. We've got another uh, installation of Elvira's movie Macabre, Giant Monsters. This is a four-film set that includes teenagers from outer space, monster from a prehistoric planet, Attack of the Giant Leeches, and the giant Gila Monster. 
All of those are movies that I think are uh, pretty darn hysterical, even without Elvira's commentary. But as I am a big Elvira fan, um, big Sandra Peterson fan, I got to recommend everything that she does. It's just all that Valley Girl talk in between. I know she ripped off Vampira. We know that. But I, I still find it thoroughly enjoyable. And then we've got uh, Strippers versus Werewolves, which is a complete... Um, this is the descendant of those Scream Queen films from the 80s. This is actually a new film from 2011, and uh, the title tells you everything you need to know. It literally is Strippers versus Werewolves. Hire some strippers, give them some weapons, and put some people in werewolf costumes. You're good to go. And uh, Jeff Dunham is a horrible, horrible ventriloquist that I can't stand, but I feel obligated to mention that there is now a Blu-ray out called Jeff Dunham Minding the Monsters, in which uh, he, they seem to think that having him uh, do some ventriloquism with uh, monster puppets and, and uh, somehow is appropriate for Halloween. I think it's probably more terrifying just the fact that he is actually successful. Uh, then we also have a very strange release from DreamWorks on Blu-ray, which is Spooky Stories. It includes Shrek's Thrilling Tales, uh, Scared Shrekless, and a Monsters vs. Aliens uh, special called Mutant Pumpkins from Outer Space. Mm. I don't know what the animation division is thinking here, but this is really um, pretty much just for kids who have misbehaved and are not permitted to go trick-or-treating, this will let them feel as though they're being punished much, much worse than they deserve to be. Uh, also uh, an, uh, along the animated lines is the Halloween Tree, which is uh, a Hanna-Barbera special that I had never heard of. And this is from uh, 1993, uh, which is probably why I didn't, hadn't heard of it. And uh, you know what? Um, i got to tell you, Scooby-Doo is better. Uh, but some people seem to have a fondness for the Halloween tree. It certainly is very, very... Um, it has a following because it's based on a, a Ray Bradbury short story. I don't know how much of the short story is here. I've never read the short story, but I would say your average Scooby-Doo movie or even a couple of Scooby-Doo episodes are uh, more entertaining. But this is, you know, 70 minutes long. For people who might have a fondness for it, I suppose it has a place. Uh, Monster High Ghoul's Rule is uh, terrible. This is like Bratz, except with... Uh, it's like if you did the Munsters Bratz style and animated. I don't know. It's it's not very good. But, uh, you know, it's this is some kind of movie that was on TV, and I guess kids like it. And then lastly, a movie I absolutely expected to hate and wound up actually kind of somewhat liking in a strange and embarrassing way. This is from E1. This is Vampire Dog. Uh, about a dog named Stupid dog <laughs> About a dog Dogs dog. So dumb okay. it, it, This is just Dogs are At a dumb. certain point you, you have to wonder are they, Do they not realize That this movie Is as big a, a joke As it seems to be Or is that the whole point The only thing That makes this work Is when you realize That the voice of the dog Is Norm MacDonald And then you're just Awesome it, it, that was the best. I love Norm Macdonald. It's just too great. Uh, there's nothing scary about this. It's just a straight-up family film. But uh, Norm Macdonald is the voice of a dog is, is worth any kind of a laugh. Oh, wait. No, it was a good weekend for uh, Jessica Biel. You know why? Why? She got married. She married Justin Timberlake. Nice. Yeah. Good for her. You didn't know that? I, I, knew, I heard they were going to get married in Italy or something. And, that, you know. and they did. Nice. And uh, that's the good news. The bad news is that her uh, latest film, uh, The Tall Man, is now on Blu-ray. This movie's actually, you know what? The the thing with this movie is that it, it it's only bad because it tried something and failed, as opposed to being bad because it just sucks. Uh, so I do give it some credit. Jessica Biel is a uh, not she, to be confused with the Jeff Goldblum, uh, Emma Thompson, yeah, right. the tall guy, the tall guy, which has one of the greatest and funniest sex scenes in movie history. <laughs> Anyway, uh, The Tall Man is about uh, Jay. Jessica Biel plays this uh, small town. Uh, she's a nurse, small town nurse, and kids are disappearing uh, in this small town. Now, for some reason, even though there are kids disappearing all over the small town, Nancy Grace, nowhere to be found. TV news cameras, nowhere. Kids just disappear in a small town like uh, nobody's business. And, of course, Jessica Biel doesn't believe the legend of The Tall Man until her kid is missing. Oh, my God. So you got to find out uh, who the tall man is, and you do find out, and uh, it's not that bad. It, you know, I mean, it's kind of bad, but it's not that bad. It, you know, it tries to be kind of different, a little funky, um, kind of creepy. So it's really, uh, it could have been a lot worse. Um, I understand why this didn't really get much of a theatrical release. Uh, I got a very small one. It was released in New York. Um, anyway, so um, 
There's a tall man. Really not worth it. Unless you love Jessica Biel. And if you love Jessica Biel, I don't know what to say. Uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is out on uh, Blu-ray. This is uh, the original 2. Yes. <laughs> it's from 1986. Yes, as a, not to be confused with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 that is a sequel to the remake of the original yes. Texas Chainsaw This one's directed by Toby Hooper. Yes. Not Bruce? good. Huh? Not a good movie. No. The original Texas Chainsaw Massacre isn't a very good movie, frankly. I know. Well, you know what? It was kind of a cult classic, but uh, I'm surprised Dennis Hopper even starred in this. But, you know, it was a uh, Goldman Globus production, and Wade and I love Goldman Globus. In fact, do you remember when I when I forwarded you that email that they were going to make a uh, a documentary about mm-hmm. Goldman Globus? Yeah. And you said it'll never get made? Well, it's, it, well, it's you know, a friend of, friend of mine uh, is, uh, who I have to actually have to return his call, um, had written a film for them and was supposed to be interviewed for it. So I will know when that gets rolling. I know there are issues about finishing up the uh, fundraising for it. So Anyway, this one is uh, funnier uh, or tries to be funnier than the original. Um, does it succeed? Eh, not really. So Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, Apartment 143 is uh, out from Magnet. And um, this is, uh, I, you know, actually I couldn't even finish watching this. It was just too stupid. Um, anyway, it's about these, uh, they, they call themselves a parapsychologist or something, and they're investigating this, uh, this, this apartment and the crazy stuff happening at the, at the apartment where there's like telephone calls, there's no caller, and there's objects flying, and there's light bulbs exploding, all sort of crap happening. And, um, you know, it's, it's total digital filmmaking. You can tell it's digital it's not very well written. It's not even very well shot, but you can tell, hey, it's cheap. It's digital. We can just make it. Let's just make it. And uh, it's very paranormal activity-ish, but I will take the paranormal activity movies any day over Apartment 143. Um, we do have another werewolf movie called Werewolf, uh, The Beast Among Us. Now, this one is, uh, here's the thing. When Universal tried to reboot their classic horror films, they started with um, mm-hmm. uh, The Wolfman. Well, well, they started with, well, they started with, with, uh, with The Mummy, but the it's mummy. more of an action film than a horror film. But right. yeah, Wolfman was supposed to get the horror thing rebooted. Yeah. Right. And uh, wait, did, did, did that work? No. Exactly. No. Well, Universal now has this... Uh, it's, it's a. Uh, they, they, they claim it's like an all-new movie, but I mean, who are we kidding? This is a thing called The Werewolf, The Beast Among Us. And it's the werewolf's turn to be rebooted in Universal you know, monster legacy style. Unfortunately, this thing is no better than, uh, than the other one, The Wolfman... I don't understand why they keep doing these. It does feature Stephen Rea, who's great, but it also features Stephen Bowers. How good could it be? No. No good. Exactly. All right, Mark, tell us why uh, Oliver Stone's son directs uh, scarier movies than he did when he made The Hand. Oh, I love The Hand. I know, but... but Come on! <laughs> talk about Sean Stone, and then I'll wrap everything out. How dare the... you? It's a bad movie. You know, well, here's the thing. the thing. The problem is that this whole found footage thing, it's got to stop. It's just got to stop. Yeah, I, know. I don't get it. I don't get it either. And it's going to run its course soon with Rec 17. Well, the thing is that it may not run its course because they are so easy to do and everybody's got a digital camera and everybody can shoot their own little found footage movie. It looks so easy and the digital camera's 500 bucks and oh, it's going to be great. And of the 10,000 of these that'll get made, you know, there'll be just enough that'll break through to the mainstream, maybe even get theatrical release that it just enables another 10,000 people to make their own stupid found footage movie and I would just wish you would all stop. Thank you. Yep. Anyway, um, this was, as uh, Wade says, directed by uh, Oliver Stone's uh, son and um, it's this found footage thing. Uh, it's about this uh, psychiatric hospital in New Jersey and uh, it's just it's terrible. Yeah, I know. I know. He's, uh, the whole idea is that like, like, like they, 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 the filmmakers, the actual filmmakers, you know, they... they because Sean Stone is in the film, and he wrote mm-hmm. it and directed it, and, Al- and Alexander Wraith, who co-wrote it, is also in it. And actually, Oliver Stone's in it, too. But the whole idea is that the filmmakers busted into this abandoned hospital Boo. called Greystone Park, and it's all the crazy stuff that happened in the hospital. So it's like they wrote it and directed it, and they're also in it. So it's like really true, because they really did direct it, and they really did write it, and they really are acting in it. Yeah. So it's true. It's found footage, and it's just the worst. 
All right, we are near the end of the show, so I'm going to uh, rattle, I'm going to rattle off a bunch of stuff. We 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 can't go through this in in detail, but I, I want everybody to know about. It. There are eight volumes of Scream Theater now out from VCI. These are double features, uh, including some films that we we actually talked about. Uh, some of the good stuff here uh, include uh, Volume Three, Don't Look in the Basement, and Don't Open the Door. Uh, as well as Legend of the Witches and the City of the Dead in Volume 4. Kiss of the Tarantula is on Volume 8. Swamp of the Ravens, also a pretty decent uh, exploitation film, Volume 7. And the aforementioned Forever Evil is in a double feature on Volume 6 with Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things, which has one of the all-time great titles. Uh, and then also want to make mention of a bunch of great uh, titles that have recently been released from Redemption Films. This is the Redemption Library that recently uh, merged over with Kino Lorber. A lot of great stuff, especially from uh, director Jean Rollin, who is kind of one of the all-time great European horror directors. Uh, the living, this is all on Blu-ray and on DVD. The Blu-rays are sensationally good-looking. The, the entire Redemption Library... The original elements are just pristine. They have those garish colors that we were talking about earlier with Rosemary's Baby. All these films from the, uh, the, the 60s all the way through the 80s in the Redemption Library have these really garish colors that just work so well for, you know, the blood looks thick and syrupy. It's great. Uh, the Living Dead Girl is particularly good. Uh, Renato Polselli's Black Magic Rites is, uh, is, is unbelievably creepy. Another genre land film, Two Orphan Vampires. Uh, really, really worth checking out. Um, Jess Franco. I was just talking to uh, to Henry Sheehan the other day about what we just don't get Jess Franco at all. But if you want to see uh, Jess Franco's famous exorcism, which was also known under an alternate name, Demoniac, both of those versions are out. And uh, it, you know, I guess you could get it on Blu-ray. It's it's probably I don't, I don't like Jess Franco films at all. Uh, similarly, issue of a problem is Jess Franco's Female Vampire, which was also known under the uh, alternate title Erotic Kill. So. So not a Jess Franco fan here, but, uh, you know, there are Blu-rays out if you happen to be one. I'm not going to recommend it. Uh, Mario Bava, one of the great all-time Giallo directors. Uh, we've got his uh, Black Sunday from the Giallo collection. Um, and then uh, getting down to the bottom, we, lastly, uh, double, uh, double feature from Mario Bava, The House of Exorcism and Lisa and the Devil. And then finally, uh, what I think is is probably the best of the Redemption titles this week is a Mario Bava film as well, Hatchet for the Honeymoon, which, believe it or not, is not just a horrible, gory, and, and terrifyingly bloody film, um, but it's one of the few Giallo films that I actually think really has value as a movie. Uh, this is like a really surprisingly psychologically compelling thing. So it's it's a it's a cut above the Giallo stuff. So some good Mario Bava stuff there. And uh, you know what, Mark? Absolutely no Dario Argento movies for Halloween this Yay! year. Right? He's lame. He's lame. We don't like Dario Argento. All right. Have a great Halloween, everybody. We'll see you next week. <laughs>